Welcome to Gathering Gold. This is Cheryl Paul. And I'm Victoria Russell. We're going to be talking about the passage of time. And we came upon this topic because I am exquisitely aware of time right now. I've always been aware of it for a long time as a highly sensitive person, but having children exponentially increases the awareness of time, I think. And mostly we are in a countdown with our older son, Everest, going to college in a year and a half. And I can hardly even say that sentence without feeling the tears in my chest and in my throat. Um, He is... 17 and a half, he's closer to 18 than 17. So there is also that transition of him stepping into 18 and then his senior year of high school. And so it's it's really daily right now. I was sitting on our front steps in the sun a few weeks ago, and I saw our neighbors across the street pulling into their driveway. And I flashed on our kids when we first moved in, all of our children. Everest was four, and their kids were three and one. And Asher wasn't even born yet. And now my kids are 17 and almost 13, and theirs are 16 and 14. And I just felt this thud, as I often do, of how did that happen? This huge swath of time, gone. And then I flashed on the next chunk of time. If these 13 years passed so quickly, what are the next 13 years going to be like? And then the next 13 years, and then down the line until an entire life is over. And then it becomes too much for my brain to metabolize. And I start to feel um, like I'm going to fall down a cliff. And so I reel my mind back into this moment and come back into my seat in the sun and just breathe into that awareness of time passing and the grief that it brings and also the fear that it brings. And so that night we were having dinner, the four of us, and the topic of time came up. And we were talking about how we used to listen to music on cassette tapes. And my husband and I were laughing about how annoying it was when the tape, the ribbon would get all bunched up and you would try to fix it, but it was (laughs) usually a lost cause. And we were marveling at how quickly the technology has changed, that now we listen to music on screens and devices and it comes through to us streaming as if by magic, my brain can't understand it. I mean, I I really don't get it at all, how it all works. And Ever said, I wonder how we'll listen to music when I have kids. It's probably all going to be wearable, virtual glasses and things like that. And I just kind of stared at him like, I don't even know what you're talking about. What do you mean wearable? (laughs) (laughs) And I also felt my soul sink and my brain kind of short circuit. And there's something inside of me that rebels against technology and how quickly everything is changing. 
And I could feel also my, my, my fear, my fear about the loss of soul in this era of technology, that, um, that something is lost, I think, on the level of soul, that there is something soulful about cassette tapes and, and albums. And of course, things like letter writing have been lost because of email. And what happens to the creative potential of daydreaming when every time we have a few seconds, we reach for a screen? So this is where I went in this like nanosecond of him saying music is going to be wearable. And I said something along these lines. And then we we talked about time for some time. And we were talking about how a thousand years ago, nothing much changed between generations. But now things are changing every year, sometimes every week. It's lightning fast how quickly things are changing And then it made me wonder about highly sensitive people and how much we struggle with change and loss. And is this possibly another reason why anxiety and OCD have exponentially increased in recent years? And this is just me theorizing. Is it the anxious, sensitive mind and soul trying to grab on to time that is just slipping through our fingers, right? And that our symptoms our intrusive thoughts and our rituals, that they're in some way this this misguided attempt to stop time or to have some control over the speed, the velocity at which we are hurtling through change. And so I can go to so many different places, right, around this of, of how this affects highly sensitive people and what happens to these places of soul the elements of soul that are lost and, and, and my grief around that. And then I come back to what's happening right now in our lives, Everest going away soon. My children's littleness feels so present right now. I went to the library the other day. I haven't been since COVID started, and I was hit with this wave of grief and nostalgia because of how much time we spent at that library when they were young and how that stage is over, just gone. And then I saw a dad getting out of his car with his young son and the grief was just right there. It welled up in me and I sat in my car and cried. And I let it come and I let it wash through me and I I know that this is the way that I navigate the passage of time, that each swell of grief is like a handhold on what can feel like a rickety bridge of this life. And I, I grab hold, but I also surrender and I cry through the nostalgia and the memory. I let myself feel into that moment and then I'm okay. And it passes through and I keep moving forward and I keep celebrating my children and feeling into their excitement for what's next for Everest. So excited about what's next in his life and really close to launching out into the world. And so this is all heightened for me right now, but I wanted to bring it into the context of how I often hear about it with my highly sensitive population for whom the awareness of time 
has been front and center from the time they were really young. So clients who talk about their awareness of their parents aging, both when they were little, when they were children, and still noticing every line on their parents' faces, um, that this element of transitions that highlights the passage of time, that graduating, getting married, having a baby, that every time you move up the totem pole of life stages, it pushes your parents to the next stage, which is one stage closer to death. And highly sensitive people hold this awareness very closely to their hearts. Right? So when you become a parent, they become grandparents. And for so many people who find their way to my work, they talk about this awareness from a really young age, like five years old. That was certainly true for both of my boys. And I know it was the case for you too, Victoria. Yeah. I talked about this in our third episode about nighttime. Yeah. That memory I had of being probably about four years old. Mm. And listening to my dad sing this lullaby and just my heart like aching. And I can't remember if I've ever talked about this on the show. But I remember watching the movie Father of the Bride when Mm. I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And there's a montage the night before Annie is getting married. She's in her early 20s. And her father, played by Steve Martin. It's really a movie about him coming to terms with his daughter Mm -hmm. growing up. Love that film. Yeah, I love it too. It was one of my family's favorites. And there's this montage where he's just remembering, like the night before he's lying in bed, remembering her as a baby and a little kid and a teenager and playing basketball together. And it's, again, like that aching heart feeling. Yes. And I remember just going, nope, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that to my parents. Like, I don't want mm. them to ever feel that way. Oh. I I'm, I don't want to grow up. And I, I remember very specifically being nine years old and, and being like, oh, my gosh, I'm halfway to 18. Mm. This is not okay. I'm halfway to adulthood. Yeah. This is freaking me out. Those nine years went really fast. I don't want to grow up. Yes. And I remember it around like 10 years old. I would I would like take my dad's hand again when we were crossing the street. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like there was a part of me that really wanted to like stop that process of growing up. Yeah. Which it's I think it's fitting that I started my other podcast, Perennials, about growing up because it's like <laughs> Those who can't do teach a podcast. No. <laughs> um, yeah, that has always been like a big sticking point for me. Like I wanted to stop time. I wanted to resist growing up. And yes. I have never been one to really plan very much or th- or think about the future in an excited way or have a vision of myself in the future mm. because that's al- always just seemed so scary to imagine the passage of time and getting older. So when people talk about these visions that they have for themselves and their future, for me, I I never really had that after like that 
I don't know, maybe middle school point. Once I actually started to step into adulthood, mm-hmm. I didn't really have a vision, you know? I was just like pumping the brakes. <laughs> right. Trying to get it to slow down and stop. Mm-hmm. What I'm thinking as I'm listening to you is that I'm speaking about this from the perspective of a mother with a teenage son so close to the end of high school. And my my exquisite awareness, painful awareness, but also beautiful awareness of how much I love him and the finite amount of time we have with him living in this configuration. Of course, he'll come back here and there, but it won't be like this again. But I have also always been aware, and you're speaking to this, of of my children's awareness of the passage of time Mm. and my clients' awareness as children of the passage of time. And I remember for Asher, our younger son, one of his most vivid memories was of going to Disneyland just before he turned four. So maybe something around that four-year-old stage and coming home and crying because he didn't want to grow up. And it was that Peter Pan ride, which is, you know, the Peter Pan is the archetype of Mm. the boy who goes to Never Neverland and doesn't grow up. And it just hit him like, what? Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) Like, this is not okay. Yeah. And Everest was the same. It showed up differently for him. Very acute around seven and also nine. And so interesting that you brought in nine, like halfway to 19, but nine also that entry point into those tween, like nine to 12 years. Yep. Right? When you you step even one foot further away from being a little kid, you're not a little kid anymore. And it's it's painful. And then, of course, where I always go is, and we don't have the language and the rituals and the ceremony to, to usher highly sensitive children and all children across these treacherous places in a way that you know would, would help it to not feel so scary, maybe. And I think also what you're saying about vision and the future is important, Victoria, because I think that's one thing that helped Everest move through his fear of loss and change and death was connecting so deeply to his passion and his vision of becoming a pilot, that being goal-oriented, right, and being able to recognize, oh, I can only do that if I grow up, right, that there are some good things about growing up that it helped propel him, no pun intended, into <laughs> into some excitement because there were years, and I've written about this on my blog, years where every birthday, and it connects to our birthdays episode, mm-hmm. every birthday, he would say, I'm so sad I'm not going to be six anymore. This mm-hmm. is my last day of being six. 
And then at, at some point around 12, 13, when he started to fly, when he started to take glider lessons, he wasn't sad anymore because the excitement overpowered what he was let, letting go of, leaving behind. Like what he was moving toward was was so exciting. Yeah. But I will say, he is with me as excited as he is for what's coming. And he's scared too because there's a big unknown and he doesn't know where he's going to go to college and he's aiming very high. Um, we look at each other frequently and there's a, like a palpable sadness of knowing it's finite. It's always been finite, but it's more finite than it's mm. ever been. He's feeling it. Asher's feeling it. I mean, Dave and I, of course, like, we must talk about it like too much. <laughs> but, but it's it's just so present. And it's so good, right? You want, we want him, we want him to launch, of course, and move toward his dreams. And there's all that joy and celebration and pride. But we can't bypass the grief. did finally move into my first apartment. You know, I had spent some significant amounts of time over the previous year or two, like house sitting for people and kind of spending chunks of maybe a few months um, living somewhere else. But I do think that tendency of mine to like pump the brakes and not look forward so much. Mm-hmm was part of the reason why, along with financial stuff, um, part of the reason why I didn't move into my first apartment till I was 27. And when I finally did, I cried a lot mm. frequently <laughs> around mm. that time. Mm -hmm. And I remember driving to Ikea in the dark to get some furniture for the apartment and crying. And I thought about this song that I shared with you, Cheryl, which I think is just one of the Man, it so oh. perfectly encapsulates everything we're talking about, particularly around like that sense of family and parents and the passage of time. So it's Stop This Train by John Mayer. <laughs> and I've listened to it 37 times. It's just you shared beautiful. it with me. I wish we could play it right now. It's so beautiful. It really encapsulates the essence of what we're talking about. Yeah, just the uh, what really strikes me about the song in addition to just kind of naming like I don't want to see my parents get older, I don't want to get older, you know, all of this is that sense of he keeps repeating stop this train, I want to get off and go home again. Yes. And it's that sense of like yeah, there's like a certain homesickness. Yes. I think that we have when it comes to the passage of time of like, it's like the way that a lot of people, I think, 
myself included, feel about Christmas. Mm. Like Christmas mm. is never as magical as it was when you were like three years old. And um, there's something mm. about like there's something in the past, you know, that feels like home. Yeah. Maybe a time when you weren't aware or as aware of the passage of time. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's to me speaks to that um, idealized version of life that a lot of highly sensitive people mm -hmm. hold on to that childhood can be emblematic of, of even if, even though there's no such thing as a perfect childhood, but that like the perfect Christmas or that one perfect moment, or just when I was a child and I didn't have the responsibilities and and creating in, in one's mind the perfection or the idealized version of life. That to me also speaks to a spiritual longing, that home as childhood home, but also spiritual home. And when I, some of the, the lyrics were so beautiful to that song and so painful. I shared it with Dave and he was like, I can't even listen to the song. It's just yeah. too, like, <laughs> like we were both just crying. Um, and also because that he talked to his dad, you know, and, you know, for, for Dave, just the father son relationship. Um, but at the end, when he says, once in a while, when it's good, it'll feel like it should. And they're all still around, and you're and you're still safe and sound, and you don't miss a thing till you cry when you're driving away in the dark. That's you driving away, yeah, in the dark. But that other, it's it'll feel like it should. It's that it's those moments that I think we attach onto childhood, but we can bring them into our adult life when everything just feels right, when we do have that sense of home, when we're in more of that place of flow, and it feels like time stops. Like I feel that a lot when we're doing these recordings, Victoria, mm. when, when we're dropped in, when we have the candles lit, my eyes are closed and we're, we're exploring around the psyche. Like one of my favorite things to do in the world is to be in this exploratory conversation with you about meaningful topics. Um, and so there's like, we talk about flow in the cult, like what is that being in that flow state when you are just in it, when you're in the place where your head quiets and you're dropped into your body and it all feels like it should. And, and I think there's something timeless about that in a, in a beautiful way, right? In a way that we can start to reframe, okay, yes, there is so much pain around children growing up. And there is so much joy in that as well. And for oneself, clinging on to childhood, the fantasy of childhood, to be curious about what is packed into that, right? And, and the, the mind that wants to idealize as a way to 
recapture. It's like what we've talked about in some episode, maybe summer, about recapturing childhood and bringing those those qualities in, or maybe it was the Turning 50 episode. Um, I don't know. These aren't even fully formed thoughts. I'm wondering if it's making sense to you. Yes. I think that that bridge of the song that you identified is the most like powerful part and <laughs> that image of driving away crying in the dark. I think that was – I think as time passes and as you grow up, there's also this sense of separateness that emerges and sometimes you can you can come back and feel connected again, but then it's time to separate again. And mm-hmm. what does that mean for you and what is – you know, like what is my role now and and where is my home now? What does that all mean? Like that part of growing up I think can be – hard. And yes, I am also really glad that you named that piece about idealizing and romanticizing the past. Mm. Like that idea of Christmas's past, like maybe you didn't have it and maybe you're aware that you didn't have it or maybe you're not even aware. <laughs> you think you had it, but if you mm-hmm. were back in that moment, you'd be like, oh no, this isn't what I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And I know there was some study about asking people right after they got back from vacation, like how happy they were on the vacation (laughs) and then asking them a year later. And people a year later reported that they were a lot happier than they reported that they were, you know, the day (laughs) after they got back. Yeah. And I think we have, I think highly sensitive people especially like have that tendency to really romanticize the past and cling onto it. And you and I were talking about how like Facebook doesn't help with this, showing us all these memories. Oh my gosh. Here's what you were doing 12 years ago. And we do have this ability now, especially with, you know, cameras in our phones in our pockets all the time. And not just having cameras all the time, but the ability to see the picture instantly and put like a sepia tone on it to make it look like it was taken a hundred years ago (laughs) and you feel nostalgic for something that happened 30 seconds ago because of how you've just filtered it. It's wild. It's wild. So this is some way in which technology is messing with, altering, I don't know, our sense of time, our sense of the past of nostalgia so when I log on to Facebook, and it's it's pretty rare. It's not a place that I tend to go very often. Um, and Facebook shows me this. The, this is your child, like some photo of them 10 years ago. And there they are looking yeah. so friggin' precious and adorable, <laughs> like standing on some boulder in in the mountains, all like – fresh-faced and smiling and who knows what was actually happening. I mean, likely there was like a huge argument and <laughs> Everest is super annoyed with Asher. Asher just fell down and like split his knee open. But that's not the moment I apparently posted yep. on Facebook. I posted some other moment where there are two brothers standing on a boulder together and there's their daddy being a great daddy, which he is. And that is also all true, right? But there is this element of documenting our lives 
in a very skewed way that I have to wonder how, how this alters our memory. Um, although I would have to assume that there's always been some kind of nostalgia yeah, for childhood, for our children's childhood. And I'm, I can't quite even name what, what is that when I see those photos of them when they were, you know, four and 11, like, I don't want to go back in time. I do not want to relive <laughs> four and 11, right? I, I, or that's not their age, it's six and 11. Um, and so what is that that pulls us back and goes, oh, mm. oh, like that, that sweetness, that innocence, that preciousness, that's all there, but also there was lots of hard stuff too. But like what you're saying, I think we tend to erase and delete the harder stuff. And maybe that's a, a healthy thing that we do. I don't know. But what seems to simmer up to the surface is only like the, oh. Yeah, and that longing. The longing. There's a there's a movie called Midnight in Paris. Mm. Have you seen it? Mm-mm. It's a Woody Allen movie, so like obviously <laughs> we can't watch it anymore. Problem. Um problem. But Owen Wilson plays the main character and he is an American in Paris and he's obsessed with I think it's like the 1920s or 1930s period that he's kind of obsessed with and he wishes mm-hmm. he could go back in time and he does go back in time to Paris in like the 20s or whatever it is. I might be getting the time period wrong. Um and then – and he's, like, having this amazing time. But then he meets someone in in the past who, like, she totally romanticizes, like, the Renaissance or something. She's like, oh, I just wish I could go back to the Renaissance. That's when, you know, like, all those amazing geniuses were doing all this amazing stuff. And he's like, what about penicillin and, like, dentistry? And yeah. – like he just starts realizing that, oh, like no matter what time period you're in, you could be saying it was better back then. Yeah. Um, and I think it's so interesting. I I was really curious about how we really – it really feels like culturally we are in a, an age of nostalgia. Like there's always been nostalgia, like we're saying, to some mm-hmm. degree. But – it feels like right now, like there are so many reboots of TV shows like hmm. Fuller House and Gilmore Girls got rebooted a few years ago and hmm. Will and Grace and um, all these different shows have like come back. And, you know, if anyone watched the Super Bowl halftime show recently, it was like all of these musicians who are in their 50s now who like singing all these songs that were huge hits like 20 20- or so years ago. And people loved it. Mm. Um, but it's this like real moment of nostalgia. And yeah. I found this interesting article um, that I can link to in the show notes. I don't have the name of the article or the author in front of me right now, but I will link to it. Um, it said how like that term nostalgia was coined uh, in 1688. And it was it comes from the Greek words for home and pain. So interesting <laughs> that like that home mm. piece comes up again. 
Yes. Um, and this article just kind of talks about what you were saying in the very beginning about technology and all this rapid change that mm. it seems like this very fast-paced um, – I'll, I'll just read the quote. In a fast-paced world of rapid change, we yearn again for continuity, tradition, and cultural stability, for access to the source of things, and yes, for home. And I just think it's so interesting that we're in this larger cultural moment of like, oh my gosh, wait, stop this train. Can we yes. just slow things down? Can Is there something I can hold on to? Because this is a lot and it's fast and and yes, I have this ability with me at all times to like curate the moment and document it and look mm. at it tomorrow and feel sad that that's gone already and see my face changing, you know, like frame by frame, <laughs> 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 noticing yes. every change, you know? Yes. It's an extraordinary quote. And the whole quote is the one that you shared with me initially about those Greek words for home and pain, this acute melancholic homesickness, which is so interesting to me because the highly sensitive person as a child almost always had separation anxiety. Yes. Almost always clung to their mother, their parents' legs, right? Being little and just clinging, not wanting to let go. So there's something particularly acute for this personality type that longs to stay young, to stay in the safe folds of their mother's skirt, that longs for home and that feels that pain, acute melancholic homesickness, that that's what nostalgia is. And I can only say, because my work is so much focused on transition and transitions require having a relationship to grief, that like I shared in the beginning of the story of the podcast with my story about sitting in my car, seeing the dad take out his little son from the car seat, going into the library, that for me to stay open-hearted now feels essential to be staying in that place of being willing to feel the grief as it surges up and through and out of me. That I don't want to be clinging on to Everest. I want to send him off into his life with so much celebration. He's so forward-thinking. He's so much about technology, exploration, this thrills him. This excites him, which is also mind-boggling because he is also a highly sensitive person. So it's a very interesting place mm -hmm. that he has crossed over into of literally wanting to be on a rocket launching to Mars. <sighs> <laughs> and the only way I'm going to be able to keep supporting him is by having a daily relationship to my grief. And so if Facebook wants to show me those photos that I, I don't push it away, that I let it in, that I breathe in the nostalgia, the ache, the pain, 
for that time, the longing, and let myself feel it as fully as I can. And that the goodness, the sweetness of tears, the sweetness of that full heart for me, that there's sweetness in that, that it also speaks to so much love and so much attachment. And I would like to think healthy attachment. And that there has been so much goodness in our life and so much pain and so much hard stuff too, of course. Raising children is never easy. Being in long-term marriage, there's there's been challenges every step of the way, but it's certainly not what I'm left with right? when I'm thinking over. It's like the study of asking the people how they felt about their vacation a year later. It's an interesting thing we do right? When we create the whole tapestry, looking back. But the only way I know how to walk through this life and these acute times is to keep feeling that sweet place of grief. My tendency is that I want to avoid, I want to turn my head, I want to ignore, you know, mm-hmm. go like, la, 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 no, it's not <laughs> happening. Mm-hmm. But when I do acknowledge it, like just acknowledge it and acknowledge that my fear, my sadness, my pain is human and it doesn't mean that something's wrong or that something's wrong with me. Yes. And I actually look at it, it actually does help me be more present now. Yes. For instance, I had my sister Sophia stay with me for a weekend a couple of weeks ago. And I noticed myself getting really busy, like making lunch, doing the dishes, like, oh, I said we would bake cookies. So I gotta, mm. I gotta mm. do that now. <laughs> and and I was like, wait, like Sophia is here with you now. Mm-hmm. Let's slow down a little bit because she's here now and you have this weekend together. And it's not about checking everything off the list. It's about being together now. And that's what she really cares about, you know? Yes. And isn't that what we're seeking ultimately to be present? Yeah. Right. To be present right here. And so nostalgia pulls us into the past. And then our fear of the future, we can spiral into that place, right? That at its simplest, that's what anxiety is, being stuck in the future what if and the past if only, that place of regret and nostalgia. But we are seeking, we are the true longing. I think that deep place of home is to be right here yeah, in this moment, in our bodies, What's what's happening right now? 
Yeah. And often my brain is like, oh, you're not present enough, you know, in the moment, like you're not present enough. You're not present enough. (laughs) So I just have to go, okay, I see you. I notice that thought and that fear. And then I just do my best to return. Well, it's something I hear so often with mothers of young children is Mm. I'm not present enough. Mm -hmm. I'm not present enough. There's all these hours of the day and I get mad or I get distracted or I, you know, and I'm not present. I'm missing and it's, I know it's so precious, but I'm missing it. Yeah. And I say, you're, you're going to miss some of it, right? We, we get distracted. We get mad. We can't be, presence doesn't mean I'm in a state of perfect bliss. (laughs) Yeah. I I am perfect earth mama who never gets mad or distracted. Right. And it doesn't mean you're going to remember every moment either. That's not humanly possible. And that kind of boggles my mind too. How could, how could 17 and a half years pass and how much of it do I actually remember? And then again, that's where the technology comes in because we have documented so much of our lives, our children's lives, our lives. Like the, how many photos do we all have in our iPhoto library? Cheryl, I have no more storage left. (laughs) Nobody does. Paul McCartney has an album called Memory Almost Full. And I think it's a great title because he has a lot of songs in that album about like his past and I yeah. think he, you know, this the inspiration came from his phone or his computer saying memory almost full, you know, and he was like, oh yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that we have limited capacity to remember and that's okay. That's part of it too. And then we do our best to gently come back to the present moment, what's actually happening right now. And being present doesn't translate into like pressing enter in our memory bank. Right? right. It doesn't mean you're going to remember it, but what's underneath all that desire to to hold on to our yeah. children. Right? To hold on. And then again I come back to the grieving. Right? There is grief every step of the way in this life. It is acute when you have children, but it's it's there no matter what your life looks like. There is grief at every stage. And as I always say, and many people say, the more you grieve, the more joy there is, the more you open the space, all of the spaces inside for, you know, what's living in each moment. It brings to mind a poem that I wrote about Everest and a moment that he and I shared. And for me, as I've shared here, poetry is another way that I move toward what's happening in the moment and be with it. So grieving is one way and grieving can look many different ways. For me, it often looks like crying, but that's not the case for everybody. Like you're saying, Victoria, just acknowledging, Mm -hmm. just naming, oh, I'm noticing that that's coming up right now. I'm noticing that thought, noticing that feeling, what that feels like in my chest. And for me, poetry I think for a lot of highly sensitive people, creative expression is another way of being with what is without trying to change it, alter it, judge it. Just being with what is, being with this awareness of the passage of time. 
And so it's called I Miss When I Was Young, and I wrote it on Christmas 2021. There is a particular light in winter, the slant that Emily named that speaks of sorrow and emptiness. Last night on the couch, we sat in this sorrow together. Do you think we should get a hot tub? I asked Everest, only partially serious. Well, I'm only here another year and a half, so it doesn't really matter to me, he replied. The words stopped our breath, hung between us like ornaments. Tears filled my eyes. I miss when I was young, he said. Me too, I replied. What would winter light say about this sadness and the empty place he'll leave behind when he goes to college? She says, the light in his eyes, the gold in his hair, will always live here too. In the trees and grasses and hills in the distance, he will travel far from you, yes, but he will also be near, and you to him. There is infinite room for your tears, sweet mother, and in the dry patches of winter, we welcome them on our land. We will hold you just as you've held us and the light of God's face, which is so brilliant on this Christmas day, so clear in this season, will extend around both of you. The light of an unending love, untarnished even by anger, it is this light that will protect him always. Bathe yourself in it, breathe it in, Know it and love it. It is God's light made manifest in this season. Beautiful. Hmm. So beautiful. glad that you said what you did about being present doesn't mean being perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and that meeting that grief can lead to more joy, having moments like that with Everest and acknowledging mm. it. I can imagine adds to your joy and your connection with each other. Yes. I think for highly sensitive people like myself who get really obsessed with purity and perfection mm-hmm. and overwhelmed just at the thought of grief, I think hmm. acknowledging our humanness and that being present just means just what it says, yes. <laughs> being a human being throughout it all and not expecting perfection from ourselves or from others or from the experience and just 
Um, and just asking if I can notice this, even if I feel too overwhelmed by the thought of going fully into all of the feeling, but just acknowledging it as a starting place. Mm. Yes. Alongside fear and pain and loss, the passage of time can bring, there's mm. also some some gold <laughs> embedded yeah. within yeah. the passage of time. And I get some really lovely messages from people who listen to the podcast on Instagram or through email. And they share with me that they feel connected to me and my mm. experiences. And some people who are a little bit younger than me sometimes say that they feel like I'm like their big sister. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um that I'm just a few years ahead, kind of passing along some of my experiences. And sometimes they ask me for advice and Mm -hmm. ask me questions about how I've managed certain situations or certain experiences. And I just find myself more and more saying, give it time. And this is something, Cheryl, that you have said to me. I remember you saying this to me when I was 22 and going through a hard time or when I had first started dating Martin and I was struggling with jealousy, like we talked Mm -hmm. about in a previous episode about jealousy. I remember you saying, you know, once you've been with someone over time, you just build that trust, but it can only really come with time. Yes. And so there are so many things. Like we just did the episode about dropping into your body recently. And like for me, that comes with time, like spending time with my own body Mm. or spending time with someone that I love. You like grow that relationship. Career stuff, you know, when we have questions about what we want to do for work, like the more that we gain knowledge and experiences and skills over time, I think the more we can find our way. And so obviously we have to meet time with work and curiosity and courage and commitment Mm -hmm. and all of these Mm -hmm. things. But the truth is like time has its own alchemy Mm. and we're not in control of the whole process. Like some stuff just kind of happens over time. Yes. And that's really scary to us that we're not in control of the process. Because we have that sense of urgency and impatience and we understand how valuable time is, but I think we don't often trust time to do its part. Mm. So we just want to hold on to it and make the most of it and like master it, but we forget that it also brings its gifts along with its losses. Mm. So sometimes I just feel so grateful when I realize that there are these gifts that have come to Mm -hmm. me over time, like, you know, in my relationships with others and with myself and developing more patience and knowledge and compassion. And those are gifts that come with the passage of time. Mm. And both things are true, (laughs) that it's terrible. And also there's a lot to be grateful for within it. It's so wise, Victoria. It's so wise. And I love 
the way you phrased and expressed all of that, and especially this phrase, trusting time, to have trust in time. Because I think highly sensitive people who have a lot of anxiety very much struggle with trust. Yeah. Trusting themselves, trusting others, but to trust time, to trust the unfolding of life, which is time. Almost like developing a relationship as if it's a a being, like to trust time, to acknowledge the gifts of time. And so then, yes, we are in that both and mind of it's painful and terrible and it's beautiful and brings gifts and brings gold that can only happen when time unfolds and what it is to still be alive in each moment is the gift of time. Yeah. It is a gift to be here and it is a gift to watch our children get older and we can get stuck in the nostalgia and grief in it, aspects of it, because that's sort of what we're prone to as highly sensitive people. But what you're bringing in is such gold to, yes, let yourself feel those places, but to not get stuck there, to recognize also the, 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 that link between grief and gratitude, to shift into then the gratitude, how lucky I am that my son is 17 and a half and still here and healthy and has these dreams. I'm so blessed. Every day is a blessing. And so I think also what you're pointing to is that we live in a culture that is more impatient than ever. Mm. We have a hard time allowing things to unfold at their own. We want the answers now. Yeah. Tell me what to do, Victoria. <laughs> Tell me how to solve this problem, Victoria. <laughs> how am I going to know what my career is? Right? People want the answers now. And also you're pointing to, I think, our fear of aging, that we only focus on the hard stuff of getting older. We forget about all of the gifts that come. As I've said, I would never trade being 50 for being 25, ever. Nor would I trade the ages that my kids are at for those younger ages. And so it's, again, I think the presence and the skill of the mind is to feel what's hard and then also proactively focus on, you know what? What's the goodness here? What are the gifts here in this moment? And also holding the broader picture of that can hold the past and the future in a different kind of way, without so much grief and fear, but with some trust in what what will come. Yeah, and I actually do have a little bit more vision, I guess, for the future. I mean, not 
not super clear, tangible, this is my five-year plan. I've, I always used to just want to vomit when I was asked that by a supervisor. Like, so where do you want to be in five years? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I just – I have some more patience and I have some more hope and I have some more inklings and steadiness, which has always been my desire that I would – feel more of that. And I think when I was younger, I just thought I'm always going to I'm always going to struggle with this thing or I'm always going to feel this way. Mm-hmm. And there's that Rilke quote, no feeling is final. Is that Rilke? I think. Mm. No feeling is final. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we often hear stories told in this very before and after type way. Like Mm. we hear an interview with someone on a podcast talking about how they overcame something. And it just sounds, it sounds so quick, even if it wasn't, even if they're saying, oh, it was years of struggle. It just doesn't, that doesn't land. Doesn't translate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now I understand more that Things really can take years, and that's okay yes. and normal. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Hmm. So I just wanted to throw all of that out there as well, sprinkle it on top. <laughs> it's golden sprinkles. Golden sprinkles. Golden sprinkles. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Thank you, Cheryl. Mm, thank you, Victoria. I wish we could close out with that John Mayer song. Just have it I know. Of like start playing. <laughs> Does anyone know him? How do we get in contact? <laughs> we get the, some permission Yeah, here. get permission to play it. Yeah. But for anyone listening, go find that song. Yeah. Play it. It will probably have deeper meaning if it doesn't already to you, given what we've just stumbled around in and explored in this hour. Mm. Cheryl, if people want to find more of you and your work online, where should they go? My website is conscious-transitions.com and I'm on Instagram at Wisdom of Anxiety. And you can find me over at my other podcast, Perennials, or on Instagram at Perennials Podcast. And if you are enjoying Gathering Gold, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, rate it, leave a review, and share it with a friend. Thank you for listening.